get started today, um, I want to do something a little bit different. Uh, I got to thinking a lot about where we're headed. Um, we're starting this series on the road to Bethlehem, and uh, today it starts off with direction and vision, and, and those two things go hand in hand. A lot of times they're, they're overlooked, um, and, and so my, the thing I want to start off with is if I could say to you right now that this right here is the map on how to get, how to, get to heaven, right here. I know it says Florida. Florida's not heaven. There, we'll do it this way. God's country. This is a map on how to get to heaven. And if I could give this to you, would you actually open it? Would you read it? Would you study it enough so that you could know exactly how to get to heaven? If it was just this simple, would you do that? Of course, everybody's going to say yes, because we want to go to heaven. But here's the thing. Sometimes we forget to ask for directions when we need it. So what I want us to do today is just whatever's in your lap, whatever's in your hands, just set it down. I want to start out today asking God for his direction. And, and as I pray, Lorna's going to play, play a little bit. But I want you to pray. I'm specific. We're going into December, and we know, you know, as, as Christians, we always do the Charlie Brown thing. It's just so commercialized. All we want is the little tree, and you know, but we just get caught up in it. And so as we get into this, this series on the road to Bethlehem, I really want to just start off with you all individually asking God for direction, asking God what he would have you do, not just today, not just this month, but going into the new year, it's time to start thinking about those things. Resolutions are just around the corner. So I want to challenge you right now just to go ahead, close your eyes, bow your head. Lorna's going to play a little bit and just, just think on what's happened so far today. The time of communion, the time of offering, the, the songs, the worship that we've sang. Maybe let those, those words um, be... Be your prayer. But most of all, take this opportunity and really just a few minutes of seeking out God's direction, God's vision for you as an individual. Father God, we come before you, and you know the 
things that are on our hearts. You know the things that are on our minds. You know the things that we're trying to hide from you. You know the things we hide from one another in times of accountability. Lord, I pray that you remove those things right now for each one of us. I pray, Lord, that you will open our hearts, open our minds to your word. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to your vision, that we would follow where you lead us, that we would look for direction from you and from your word. Lord, I know throughout this room right now, there's a whole range of emotions about the coming holiday season. There's happiness, there's sadness, there's even despair. Some people just don't like it. It's marked for some by, by bad memories and for others by great memories and whatever it is. I pray that we can wrap ourselves around the purpose of Christmas and of this, this, this holiday season. It's your son. Lord, right now I ask that where we've failed you as your followers, where I've failed you as a leader, that you would forgive us for that. I pray that you would cleanse our lips, that you would cleanse our hearts, that you would cleanse our minds, that we can truly start fresh with your vision today, with your direction. Lord, the things that are going to be said today by me are just words, but they come from you, and that makes them very powerful. And so I pray that they will set on our hearts, that we will have a desire to seek out people the way that your son sought us out, the way that he looked for people who were hurting, who were lost, who were in need of healing. Lord, as we continue our time of worship, help us not be distracted by the technologies we have and just by the things around us, but help us to be focused on you. Thank you for the opportunity we have to, to come together, for the freedom we have to come together and worship and proclaim your name, proclaim your son and what he's done for us. I pray that your presence would be known, not just in this room for the next hour, but in our lives as we leave here. I pray that we will reflect your son in the things we do in the coming days and weeks and months. In years. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Do you know what Jesus sees when he looks at this world? In Luke chapter 19, which is where we're going to hang out today, we get a chance to look at this world through Jesus' eyes. I'm going to start in chapter, or excuse me, verse 1 of Luke 19. And we're going to go verses 1 through 5, then we'll kind of hang out and talk about that a little bit. But it goes like this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. 
I want to pause there at that point, and, and I want to point out to you that Jesus is walking, and he comes to the spot where Zacchaeus is, and he looks up. He looks up at Zacchaeus. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Jesus sees people. They, they weren't invisible to him. People didn't just rush past Jesus. He didn't ignore them. He wasn't too busy for them. He, he saw people, not just Zacchaeus in a tree, but he saw the people around him. He saw people walking their dogs around the neighborhood. He saw people arguing at the table in the corner of his favorite restaurant. He saw them crying by themselves in the back of a church. He saw people dropping off their kids at daycare so they could make it to their second job. He sees people smiling in the pictures on their Facebook profile. He sees people with a scotch in their hand looking overwhelmed at the class reunion. He sees people riding their bikes outside his window while he's writing his fifth book. He doesn't avoid their phone calls because he knows that they're going to need help again. Jesus doesn't step to the right side of the sidewalk when he sees people standing on the left. He doesn't make blanket statements about them. He doesn't scowl at them when they cursed in the booth next to his at the McDonald's. He doesn't make assumptions about them because of the way they've dressed. Jesus doesn't avoid being seen with them because of how that might impact his ministry. He didn't make fun of them because of maybe they were effeminate and they were males or maybe because they're masculine and they were female. He never, while being interviewed on the evening news program, claimed that the disease that was killing so many people was his father's judgment on their sinful deeds. That's not what he did or does. He never forgot that they loved their families too. When he found out that people are homeless, he doesn't believe that they'd finally gotten what they deserved. He didn't see a, a pregnant young girl and think, what a tramp who finally learned her lesson. He, he'd see a pregnant young girl who needed help to find her way through a mess in which she's found herself. He doesn't look at lost people as if they're second-class citizens because they're getting divorced or because they have tattoos and piercings. He doesn't see those things as obstacles to their salvation. He doesn't hear their music and decide that they're going straight to hell because of the rhythm or, or the, the uh, loudness of it. He doesn't see the sign that says, we'll work for food and think cynically to himself, you're right. He doesn't see our addictions as disqualifiers that need to be conquered before people can come back to church and come back to him. That's not how he sees things. He doesn't see them as sin, but as sinners who need salvation. And once you start looking for it in the Bible, it's kind of like shopping for a red Saturn, other than the fact that nobody wants a red Saturn. But when you stop to check out a red Saturn or a red Jeep or whatever that car is or motorcycle or insert whatever you've been shopping for, all of a sudden as you drive around town, they're everywhere. Oh, they've got a Saturn. They've got one too. Look at that. They're all over the place. They're, they were there all along. But we just don't notice them because we weren't thinking about red Saturns before now. But now that you are, you see them everywhere. Once you start looking for situations in which Jesus saw people and how he saw people in the Bible, you will see them everywhere you go and every place you go and every building you walk into, you will see them. It's like a red Saturn. Remember we did the Jesus Project and I told you guys, we're the project because we're the ones that have to go out and reflect Jesus 
And, and it's that same thing. When we go out and we reflect Jesus, we're going to see lost people differently. We're going to see people with need differently. For example, I've got some verses of where Jesus saw people and how he saw them. Luke 13, 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. John 5, 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? John eleven thirty three. when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Uh, Mark ten twenty one. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But what did Jesus see when he looked up at Zacchaeus? I have to back up a little bit so that we can move forward on this. Luke 19, 1 through 4 says, Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. What Jesus saw when he looked up at Zacchaeus, he saw someone who was searching. Jesus saw Zacchaeus, which is a little bit surprising because at first glance, Jesus seeing Zacchaeus doesn't seem to be the point of the story. You see, the first four verses of the passage introduce us to a short man who's working really hard to see Jesus. Uh, we aren't told why he wants to see Jesus or what he, that he was a believer in Jesus or that he was interested in becoming a believer in Jesus. We're not told if he even likes Jesus. We're just told that he wanted to see who Jesus was. Maybe Zacchaeus and the rest of the people in the crowd were excited to see Jesus because they had heard about the blind man that he had healed on his way into Jerusalem this day, on this trip. Luke tells us um, in Luke 18, 43, when all the people saw it, the healing of the blind man, they also praised God. Now, Jesus' presence in Jericho, I said Jerusalem a minute ago, I'm sorry, in Jericho, was a big deal, and I'm sure that Zacchaeus had also heard the rumors of his affection for tax collectors. Word gets out when unlikable people realize that people like them, you see? Now, regardless, we're not told why Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, only that he wanted desperately to see him. Now, I remember a long time ago, before I went into Bible college, I was training lions and tigers and, and bears. Oh, my. Uh, I know you were all thinking it, so i just helping you out. Uh, we were asked by Disney to come in with, with a couple of our baby lion cubs and do a promotion the second time that they released The Lion King at the movie theaters in Orlando. And uh, at the same time, it just so happened, it was the grand opening of Planet Hollywood in Orlando. And so I remember talking with Jerry, we're getting ready, and this was like about a four-week thing, and we were out there every night for four weeks doing this Lion King promotion, and they had somebody dressed as Rafiki that would take the baby lion cub and hold it up over the crowd, and they would all go, oh, and... <laughs> We just stood off the backside, and they'd bring the lion cub back. And, and that's what we did. It was great. Um, so we're set up. Uh, I'm telling Jerry as we're getting ready to go, man, wouldn't it be really cool if, if you know, we got to meet uh, some of these stars that are affiliated with Planet Hollywood, you know? Some of them, I, and, and they had a whole listing in the paper about who was coming into Orlando, and some of them I liked, and some of them I didn't really care for, you know? But still, it's the fact that, you know, you get to see somebody 
that's what the world would consider important. And there was a, a big buzz around Orlando about Planet Hollywood and who was coming in for the, for the grand opening. And it was like a three-week grand opening of Planet Hollywood. Well, it just so happens we're set up, and we're at the same hotel where most of these movie stars are staying at. And, and so they're, like, walking around, and we're backstage holding our little lion cub. And they, I'm just like, wow, it's crazy. I'm like, I can see them. They're not that far away. And it was really kind of cool. But then all of a sudden, they started coming up to us. And I'm like, hey, can we, can we pet your baby lion? You know? Uh, Sue Kelly, the owner of the company, she's quick on her feet. Sure can if we get a picture with you. And so there it is. Hold a lion. Hold a lion. So now the neat thing was it turns out that these people that I was excited to see, even though I didn't like all of them, didn't know them. Did, some of them I, didn't, I thought they had lousy movies, but they still, they're movie stars. They're, you know, Hollywood came to Orlando and I was excited to see these people, and it turns out they were equally excited to meet us because we had a baby lion. It's funny, though. They looked a lot more normal and wrinkly in person than they do on the silver screen, okay? It's amazing. They say that the, the camera adds a few pounds. Apparently, it takes away wrinkles, all right? Because some of these folks were just, you know, they were a little, little wrinkly. So anyhow... I just I don't know why I remember that about them, but I do. I just I thought you were younger, Bruce, you know. <laughs> maybe it was the same thing with Jesus for Zacchaeus. And maybe he really didn't like Jesus, or, or maybe he didn't prefer or care about the politics that Jesus was bringing. Maybe he just wanted to see him close up, just to get a glimpse. You know, after all, it's not every day, you know, that you get to meet Bruce Willis or Demi Moore or Wesley Snipes' mom. Yeah, I remember that, too. It was the coolest thing. It was like, here's Wesley Snipes. Here's his mom. Um, <laughs> but it's the same thing for Zacchaeus and the people around. It's not every day you get to see a man who claims to be your Messiah. So whether you've made a decision of whether you like him or not, you still want to see him. There's a purpose for it. It's not every day. I respect Zacchaeus. He worked hard to see Jesus. He wasn't going to let anything keep him from seeing Jesus. He wasn't going to let his shortness or the large crowd keep him from seeing Jesus. So he climbs up in a sycamore fig tree to get a better view. Now, I'm cynical, and my first thought is, well, if he's so short, how do he get a hold of a limb to climb up in the tree? And I realized that sycamore fig trees, although they can be 30 or 40 feet tall, have a lot of short trunks. So it worked out well for our friend Zacchaeus, and he had plenty of branches, easily accessible from the ground. So it was a good decision on his part. He was looking for Jesus. What are you looking for? Think of all the people in the Bible who went out of their way looking for Jesus. Some of these people we're going to be talking about during the month of December as we travel the road to Bethlehem. We're going to talk about Luke 2, 8, 820. The shepherds left their sheep in the field and went looking for Jesus. We're going to talk uh, from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12, how the Magi traveled to Bethlehem. By the way, did you know that they were firemen? The wise men were also firemen? Because in the Bible it says they came from afar. <laughs> That's a little southern joke. Sorry. <laughs> I got a boo. It's all right. I got a boo and I got the look, you know. <laughs> they came from afar, not a fire. They were looking for Jesus. It took them a while. It wasn't a quick trip. All right. <laughs> Early in Christ's ministry, in Mark, it says that everyone was looking for Jesus, so his disciples went looking for him too. 
A Roman centurion came looking for Jesus so that he could heal his paralyzed servant. The disciples went looking for Jesus when the storm arose and they thought they were going to drown. They were on the boat, but they went looking for him. Luke 24, 5 through 7, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, came to the tomb looking for Jesus. The angels asked them, why do you look for the living among the dead? You see, Zacchaeus was looking for opportunities to see Jesus better. He climbed a tree. What opportunities are we looking for? Some of us won't even climb out of bed to see Jesus. And you know who you are because you're listening to this online right now. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I know people are traveling. I appreciate the online community and the people that are listening. But seriously, we, we live in a world of comfort and, and everything we need. And I don't want to be put out just to go hear about Jesus. But think about that, Christians. What, what are we looking for? Are you really looking for opportunities to see Jesus better? Are you really looking for opportunities to see what he would have you do in a given situation? I tell you, we have many opportunities. Worship services, Bible classes, small groups, Bible studies, personal devotions and prayer. Time that as individuals we should be spending with God. Not just to say, I read the Bible for 40 minutes every day. But to say, you know what, I'm, I'm reading it and I'm, and I'm trying to figure out where I fit in this. I'm reading it, and I'm saying, God, show me your direction. Show me your vision. Let me see the world the way you do. There are people in our world who are searching for Jesus. My question is, are are we making it hard for them to see him? As people around us are looking to see Jesus, are we making it hard for them to see him? Are they having a hard time looking past our anger? or our foul language, or our racism, or our sinful lifestyle, or our pride, or our hypocrisy at work, where we're a totally different person than who we are here? Do we make it difficult for people to see Jesus? I I read this story about a group of salesmen. Um, It's an older story. They had went to a regional sales convention in Chicago, and they had assured their wives that they would be home in plenty of time for Friday night's dinner. There were three of them. And in their rush with tickets and briefcases, as they were headed down the terminal to catch their plane, one of the salesmen inadvertently kicks over a table, which held a display of, of baskets of apples that were for sale. Kind of a little fruit produce stand in the, in the airport. Apples flew everywhere. And without stopping or looking back, all three of these men managed to reach the plane in time for their nearly missed boarding. But then the, the one guy stopped, and he took a deep breath, and he got in touch with his feelings. He experienced a twinge of compassion for the girl whose apple stand had been overturned by them. And he told his buddies to go on without him. He told one of them to call his wife when they arrived at their destination and explain to her that he was taking a later flight. And he returned down to the terminal where the apples were still all over the floor. And he was glad he did. It was a 16-year-old girl. She was totally blind and she was softly crying with tears running down her cheeks in frustration and at the same time helplessly reaching around for spilled produce as the crowd just swirled around her and went on their own way no one stopping no one caring and the salesman knelt on the floor and and he starts picking the apples up with her and he, he's putting them into the baskets and he he sets up the display again and as he's doing this he notices that a lot of the apples are bruised and battered from being kicked around and he sets those aside in another basket and he says to the girl as he finished he, he takes out his wallet And he hands her a $20 bill. He says, please take this $20 bill for the damage we did. And he said, are you okay? She nodded and still crying. And he continued with this. I hope we didn't spoil your day too badly. 
As the salesman started to walk away, the blind girl called out to him, Mister! And he paused and he turned back around and he looked into her blind eyes and she continued and said, Are you Jesus? He stopped in mid-stride and he wondered. And then he slowly made his way to catch the later flight with that question burning and bouncing about in his soul. Are you Jesus? My question to you, are you Jesus? Do people who are searching for Jesus mistake you for him? They should. And and if you're wondering what God's direction for your life is, that's it. I just told you. People should mistake you for Jesus. That doesn't mean that you're elevated and, and all these things. People around you should be able to mistake you for Jesus because of the way you care, the way you listen, the way you touch, the way you talk, the way you represent him. That's God's direction. That's his vision for us, that people will see Jesus when they see us. But what did Jesus see when he looked at Zacchaeus? And this is another thing that we need to see when we look at people who are not like us. Jesus saw someone who was savable. That's what our world is full of. Not people for us to judge, but people who are savable. Uh, Verse 5 says, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. You see, the legalists who knew Zacchaeus, they didn't think he was savable. He had been labeled by the people in his town as a sinner. He was a tax collector, and they were not respected members of society. He was a chief tax collector who stole money from his fellow Jews on behalf of the Roman government. Because Jesus thought he was a savable, excuse me, because Jesus thought he was savable, he went to where Zacchaeus was. He went to his spot. He met Zacchaeus where he was. He met him at the spot. What's the spot? It's that place where grace and sin meet. It's that place where hope is born. I think it's interesting that Jesus didn't expect Zacchaeus to meet him at the spot where he was going because Jesus didn't have a spot. In Luke 9, 58, Jesus says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus doesn't have a spot. We have it all wrong. We expect sinners, we expect lost people, we expect people who don't know Jesus to come here and meet us at our spot, to meet us here at our our outreach program. Most outreach programs of churches seem to be built around the goal of getting lost people to come to church. Our spot. Church is our spot. People who don't know Jesus aren't going to know how to get to our spot. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus did. and It's the exact opposite of what he wants us to do. Jesus wants us to leave the 99 in the open field and go out and search for the one lost sheep. 
He wants us to move the furniture and search the entire house for the lost coin. He wants us to run out and meet the lost son who's returning home. He wants us to go and make disciples of all nations. He wants our spot to be wherever lost people are. He didn't expect Zacchaeus to find him. He didn't didn't send Zacchaeus a home mailer with directions to his spot. He didn't put a map in the yellow pages showing 10 different ways to get there. He didn't put directions of his spot on the web page. He didn't hang a banner with the words, come worship with us on his church building. He didn't expect Zacchaeus to do all the work. He met him where he was. We've got to meet people where they are because they're not going to come here and understand. So we have to meet them where they are. There's an old saying, fish don't jump in the boat. If they did, I'd fish a lot more, that's for sure. (laughs) Good soil doesn't jump on the seeds. Disciples don't make themselves. Sheep, coins, and lost sons don't find themselves. We have to go to their spots. We have to look for them. That's Jesus' vision for us. That's the direction. This, This week, excuse me, Jesus went to the spot where he knew he could find Zacchaeus. And when he arrived at that spot, he looked at him. And this week, I want to challenge you to go to your friend's spots. Go and invite them to meet Jesus. Go to their spot at school. Go to their spot at work. Go to their spot at the coffee shop or at McDonald's or wherever their spot is. Go there and invite them to meet Jesus. Because Jesus thought Zacchaeus was savable. He didn't label him. That's one of the things our world does. It labels everything. And, and, and he didn't label. We need to resist the temptation to label people. Because the truth is, it's hard to love labeled people. Once you label somebody, it's hard to love them. It's hard to get past what you've labeled them with. And I struggle with this. Uh, and so maybe I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth right now. Because when I read this story... I want to label the legalistic people who called Zacchaeus a sinner. I want to label them as mutterers. Because Luke tells us that they muttered. But the word mutter, it's the opposite of joy. Muttering is the opposite of joy. Muttering is what losers do. Muttering flows out of a bitter heart. Muttering is the, la- the native language of a sad soul. I hope that my faithfulness to Christ will make the legalists in my life mutter. I hope that your faithfulness to Jesus will make the legalists and the the people who are looking for your faults mutter when they see you. But we need to resist the temptation to label people. Except mutterers. We can labor them. Okay? The, The crowd of people that was around, they could only see Zacchaeus as a sinner. That's not who Jesus sees. Jesus sees a lost man who needs to be found. And in being seen, Zacchaeus sees the need to change, and he's transformed in several important ways. First off, uh, Luke tells us that Zacchaeus stood up. What does that mean? Was he sitting? Was he he sitting at Jesus' feet? Was he kneeling before Jesus? Was this Luke's way of telling us that Zacchaeus had been immediately transformed into a great man of stature, morally speaking? I think so. Because then Luke tells us what Zacchaeus says. Look, Lord. And it shows us one thing for sure, that that Zacchaeus is no longer a man desperate for a glimpse of a celebrity, but a man who has seen the face of his Lord. He says, look, Lord. So he stands up. He, He says, look, Lord. He acknowledges who's in his presence. And then thirdly, a chief tax collector who has stole money from his fellow Jews, 
on behalf of the Roman government, who promises to give half of his possessions to the poor and repay four times the amount of what he's cheated people out of. You see, being seen for who you can be rather than who you are is a powerful and transformational force. I know you've got people in your life that you see them how they are. And I want to challenge you using God's vision and God's direction to see them how they can be. And that's going to take some work on our part because we may have to extend some fellowship and some love and some grace and all those things that we want extended to us, but we don't like extending to others. We're going to have to do that. Being seen for who you can be rather than who you are is a powerful and transformational force. What did Jesus see when he looked at Zacchaeus? He saw a man who was searching and he saw a man who was savable. What does Jesus see when he looks at you? What do you see when you look at people? Personally, I don't see anyone as a lost cause. I believe in Jesus, so I believe there's hope for everyone. Of course, that means that I've got a lot of work to do, and you've all got a lot of work to do. But there are no lost causes. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then you've got to believe that there is hope for everyone. But that also, that belief puts it back on us that we have work to do. Jesus wasn't short-sighted when it came to Zacchaeus. He didn't see Zacchaeus as a short crook who deserved to be locked away for what he had done to his own people. Jesus saw a man of great moral stature who needed salvation and to be welcomed gladly by his own people. And so he proclaims for all to hear in Luke 9, excuse me, 19, 9 and 10, he says, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. You see, in this word, in this, in this verse, by using the word salvation, Jesus shows us that he sees Zacchaeus not as a man who has fallen short and needed to be punished, but as a man who is now saved. And by calling Zacchaeus a son of Abraham, he shows us that he sees Zacchaeus not as a man who has no right to be a Jew because of he had shortchanged his own people, but as one who is truly repentant and worthy to be honored among his own people, which is important. Dr. A.C. Foster notes this. Publicans and tax collectors were regarded as having forfeited their birthright as sons of Abraham. In reminding us that, basically what he's saying is the people who chose to be tax collectors chose to walk away from God. They gave up their birthright. He reminds us that he is at this spot with Zacchaeus. He is at Zacchaeus' spot. To seek and save what was lost. Jesus shows everyone that he sees lost people. Not as distractions, but as his purpose for being on this planet. Zacchaeus gave up his birthright to be a tax collector. His direction, so to speak, was off for many years. He lost this. He gave it up for money. And then he robbed people with it. His direction was off. That's what makes this more about more than just a cute little song about a guy who couldn't see Jesus who climbed a tree. When he sees himself and he sees his world through God's vision and, and he's, he's not partially changed, he doesn't say, I'm sorry, from here on out, I'm going to be a good tax collector. No, he's all in. He's completely transformed. He completely changes his direction. When he sees God's direction for his life, when he sees God's vision for his life, he completely turns around. He gives back where he is cheated and robbed. And he does it abundantly. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm going to make it right. I stole $50 from you. I'm going to give it back. He gives it back four times. 
as we sing our decision song, I want you to think about the way you see people. I want you to think about what direction you, as a Christ follower, are going. I want you to think about what you're following. Are you following your own vision? Or are you seeking out and looking for God's vision and God's direction in how you should see others and live in this world? When Zacchaeus saw God's vision for his life, he changed, and he changed drastically. Will you stand with us and sing today? As you do that, know this. Whether you come forward for prayer or baptism or rededication or if you want to partner with us in finding people at their spots, God has a direction for you. He has a vision for you. And he also has a direction and a vision for Huntsville Christian Church. And I want you to know the elders and staff are constantly seeking his will, his direction, and his vision as we serve here in God's community. Will you sing with us?